This is the show with Cannon Brown. Yeah, and I it's hard for me to explain. I just from an early age I just have always liked raising sheep. I like the challenge of trying to create that great one. I also I think I like the challenge of making a living raising sheep. It's made me a better sheep producer. That last few minutes might have been a little confusing. You'd like to know who I was talking to, wouldn't you? Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Cannon Brown, and it's October 10th, and I don't know about you guys, but it's flying by. October's flying by. My birthday was five days ago, and I already feel like October's over. I just got back from California, spent some time in San Clemente, uh, ended up going to Disneyland, and let me tell you guys something about Disneyland. I hadn't been there since I was about eight o'clock. And nothing's changed, really. I mean, they have new uh, rides and new names to the rides. I didn't expect it to be as fun as it was. We went to California Adventures and Disneyland. There's so many, there's just so much stuff to do. That new Star Star Wars Land, I was having a heyday. Uh, And all the rides are just awesome. Shout out to Disney. They know how to do it right. But, I mean, have you guys, it's expensive. I mean, everything there, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg just to get a family in there. It's a, its insane, but we don't need to talk about how uh, Disney makes all of its money. Um, but yeah, it was a good time spending in Cali. Um, if you didn't hear my callback episode with my dad, I didn't end up uh, going skydiving. I did not go. The place where we were going to go skydiving had random maintenance checks on the day that we were going to go skydiving, so... I guess that's a good thing, but they ruined my birthday, so I hate them, and I'm going to write them a strongly worded Yelp review, because that's the only thing I know how to do. I mean, I'm just going to try to demolish their whole company through Yelp. So wish me luck on that, Um, but I've got a great guest for you guys today, Colby Birch. I actually talked about his dad on on the last episode with Kaylee. Uh, This guy grew up in Casper, Wyoming. His dad was the livestock judging coach at Casper College for forever. Uh, and they won multiple national titles, and and it was a he left a legacy there at Casper College. Uh, grew up raising lambs, hogs, cattle, just a really overall uh, kind of inclusive story when it comes to the industry. They pretty much did it all in Central Wyoming, uh, and what a beautiful place to be involved in agriculture. I don't know if you guys you guys have been to Wyoming, but it's one of my favorite favorite places to be, and. Uh, I need to get back there sometime. I've got some friends there that I need to say hi to. Uh, shout out Tyler Clemenson. Oh, wait, no, he lives in Montana now. Um, yeah, I still have some friends in, in uh, Wyoming that I'd like to see, but great place, great guy. I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Um, you guys like to... <laughs> I just rambled about a buddy that just moved to Montana. You guys don't need to hear about that. Um, <laughs> but that's how it goes sometimes when you're uh, listening to the intro. So I get a little... Uh, sidetrack sometimes. So let's do it. I'm not going to take any more of your time. Um, Actually, I will take a little bit more of your time. Like, subscribe, share, follow at the show pod on Instagram and Facebook. Shout out to the people that are at Phoenix, uh, the hog show this week should be a fantastic show. Shout out to the people that are at world champion showmanship, uh, the cattle show, Shout out just to everybody. If you're going to a cattle show this weekend, if you're going to a hog show, goat show, lamb show, any type of livestock show, have a fun time, all right? Kick some butt, 
take some names, meet some friends. That's all I'm going to say. All right? Let's do it, Mr. Colby Birch. You're safer here than any place else. Now just lock yourself in and keep quiet. We are in Cottonwood, Arizona. I'm with Colby Birch here. Uh, say hello, Colby. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> we are uh, at a little uh, jackpot show, Sala Circuit uh, for Arizona, and uh, and Colby and my good friend Tyler Pickenpaw came down uh, from Nebraska to judge it. And uh, Colby, you were on the sheep and goats today. How was it? It was awesome. Yeah, I was way impressed. Yeah, there, we've we've got a lot of quality down here. Yeah, like I told people during the show, this isn't lip service here, people. Yeah, these kids are way good, and uh, there were some kids and some sheep and some goats that, uh, I mean, if they were in the Midwest, they would give them everything they wanted. They can play. Without a doubt. Oh yeah, they can play for sure, and that's a, a lot of people don't realize that down here. I mean, it that Arizona has the quality. Probably doesn't get the respect it deserves. I would have to agree with you. Being a native Arizonian, I would have to agree with you that it doesn't get the respect that it deserves. Yeah, we. And, uh, I wish there was some sort of uh, a way to bring all the the state champions together. Yeah. In a mono e mono. Yeah. Type contest, uh, because some of these champions down here today. They would they would hold their own. Yeah, yeah, and I definitely saw a couple that you were picking today, and they were, they were stout. There was a natural that I saw that was, oh, pretty, the champion Morgan Lamb, pretty dang nice. Now I will say they they told me it was from Iowa, so yeah. it was Midwest bred. But yeah, but I mean he's he's down here. The young lady that uh, showed that sheep, I mean was I was she had a good day. Yeah, shout out Lexi Hunt. She's a she's a killer in the ring. Yeah, I mean yeah. that girl is. She knows what she's doing. I was impressed. Yeah, uh, but it wasn't just her. There were multiple kids and multiple sheep and multiple goats. The like the Granite Reserve breeding does were primo. Yeah. Fit to a T. Yeah. Angular, sound, loaded with shape, way good. You can't be mad at that, judging it. I. <laughs> they made it easy on. Yeah, me. exactly. It's it's nice to judge like night good stock. Absolutely. I mean, it makes it. More... It's a comfortable feeling. It's an uneasy feeling, when. You know, you know, say that you get a ring full of them that are just, they're, they're nice, but there's just nothing that sticks out to you. Yeah. It just makes me feel uncomfortable. So when, when you have some walk in the ring that are obviously very good, it's puts you at ease, puts a smile on your face. Makes and it that much easier. We, we had that today. It was good from top to bottom, uh, but the top end was as nice, I think, as you could find anywhere. Yeah. And I think uh, for judges, it's just, it's way easier to be on the mic when you have a couple really good ones in the class that you can really break down. It's oh, yeah. nice to kind of talk about that. It's hard to, if nothing sticks out to you, it's hard to go on the mic and talk about well, it. Uh, I doubt that I speak as good of a set of reasons when I'm uncomfortable and, and don't feel, you know, like the decision's very straightforward. Yeah. So you kind of go back and forth with your reasons, and when they come in and you got a logical winner, and you can just go to the mic with confidence. And, and we had that. Now, there were some tough classes today where you'd have three or four pretty nice ones that needed to be tweaked here and there but that's anywhere yeah and the other thing too about today is apparently there's several different things going on this weekend and some of these sailor shows are i mean i thought this was a big show there's a lot of people here it's really busy yeah and this uh, is the low end yeah that... this is this one is uh, apparently uh, maybe 60 percent of the one they had yeah. just a month ago yeah a month ago there was a a, a sailor jackpot it's called the southern showdown they had 1,100 entries, and when I was showing, there was about 100 people there that just that showed up, and it's grown exponentially in the last two years. It's 
Well, they've also added five shows and or something like that to the season. So it's getting people more interested and active into going to around the state. Well, I think I think it's awesome what they're doing here. Um, I mean, these are, you know, their families could do a lot of things with their time and their money. Um, obviously, this is something we we do all the time because we raise show sheep. But um, like the comment I made in the rain today. Um, I start most of my mornings uh, sipping on coffee, trying to motivate myself to get out and do chores, yeah. and watching the world news. and And uh, it seems like there's a lot of problems in the world, and I think there would. I really, genuinely think there'd be a lot fewer of them if more people did this. Yeah, I would have to agree with you, and I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with the hogs and cattle tomorrow too. Look forward to it. Yeah, I think you're going to be uh, really excited about that. I know. Uh, I was looking in in the ring at Tyler and a couple of those classes he looked over at me and was a little distraught I mean there's everything's good down here I just don't know how to say it anymore there we've got some high quality stuff but well I've seen him yeah absolutely I mean I walk. I had to walk through the cattle barn to get over to the backdrop and I mean there were some steers they were clipping on that yeah. uh, obviously were very nice oh yeah and high powered good haired clipped in nice so that's some good for, stuff. Look forward to it. That's some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, Colby, you're from uh, Casper, Wyoming, and I'm familiar just because I spent two years there. So you spent a little bit more time there than I did. Uh, kind of tell me about growing up in central Wyoming and, and kind of growing up on your uh, family operation. The wind never blows. The wind never blows. Tourist attraction <laughs> for everyone that doesn't like the wind because you it's won't been, feel it. It rains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um Obviously, both those things are a little untrue. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it, the summers are beautiful in Casper, Wyoming. It's a high desert. Uh, it's a beautiful place to raise great alfalfa hay. Yeah. Um, it, uh, I mean, big, wide-open country. Um, you know, we'd have folks come out from the Midwest because we grew up raising show calves and lambs, and we'd take them out to the pasture to look at calves in the summertime, and They'd look at us. They'd look at the cows. They'd look at the ground. They'd look. They what are they? Because the cows would always look beautiful. They yeah. were they were fat. They were slick. They looked awesome. And and uh, there'd be like a clump of gamma grass or buffalo grass about every square foot. <laughs> and, or, and there'd be sagebrush and greasewood and prickly pear cactus. Yeah. And I, you know, here we are in Arizona. There's probably even less forage and down here. But uh, they were just in disbelief. Our Midwest visitors about how the cows could even survive but it's actually a pretty good place to raise livestock you just gotta hunker down and get ready for a long cold winter and put up a lot of feed in the summer to get ready for a long cold winter but so it was it was a great place uh to grow up of course dad coached the judging team so i had a lot of opportunities and to uh, jump in the van and travel the countryside and learn about learn a lot about livestock from an early age now when did when did you start raising livestock as a child. So my earliest memory um, was age four. Um, we made a trip down to Colorado and a fellow by the name of George Kelly was selling out a set of Dorset ewes and with a little help from mom and dad of course. Oh yeah. Made my first acquisition and <clears throat> two Dorset ewes and what I'm really proud of is years later it would have been about 16 years later approximately um, a, a descendant of one of those original Dorset ewes. What we what we ended up doing is breeding them black, made specs, bred them, bred them black, made three quarter black, quarter Dorsets, and just eventually just made blacks out of them Dorsets. Yeah. But the champion lamb at our state fair in about 1998, approximately, was or 99. I can't remember. 
exactly was uh, was a direct descendant of one of those original tours that used. And wow. I imagine, you know, it was a lot of mom and dad's decision making, but I, I, I had my two cents in, oh, in, in the mix with the genetics. And um, we carried on, and, and I, ha- I still have descendants, you know, I don't know how many generations it would be later, of those uh, original Dorset ewes. Wow. Yeah. It's good to kind of have that kind of history in your herd just to know. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I can actually, um, you know, if I if I sit down and kind of map it out, uh, there's probably six females, maybe less, that I could trace a, a lot of our success at this point yeah. back to. Yeah. So. Now, what are you running now? So, at the moment, uh, there's about 300 ewes total. Um, a chunk of those are white-faced recips. Um, flushed a pretty good number of ewes this year, about 25 head. And so we're trying to trying to focus in on those females that have really been getting the job done and trying to propagate their genetics. Nice. Yep. Nice. And you uh, you showed some hogs, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, we had heifers. We, we, oh, yeah, we you showed it just steers. about everything. Fed hogs, showed hogs, and but for what for whatever reason, I don't understand it. I just really enjoyed working with the lambs, and yeah. and heck, we probably fed thirty or forty lambs yeah. every summer. Yeah. Now, would you say that your dad's kind of a cattle guy? Yeah, I, for sure. Yeah, he's he's a cattle guy. He would always jokingly tell us, growing up, he he wore a cowboy hat about every day of his life, but. We'd go to sheep events and he'd still wear his cowboy hat, which is a little bit uncommon at a sheep at a <laughs> yeah. sheep show, right? But he, he'd always jokingly tell us that he wanted to look like a wealthy sheep farmer, <laughs> wear his cowboy hat. I mean, so. anything that works, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but you guys had a, I mean, you grew up on a predominantly cow calf operation. Yeah, it was cow calf, raised club calves, uh, a lot of hay. Yeah. A lot of hay, and and then there were about 150 ewes, a couple hundred cows, and. You know, the acres of hay, I don't recall exactly. It's probably three, 400 irrigated acres of hay. But we put up all small bales, and then you had to make it work and make that extra dollar because my folks bought in in the 80s. And as uh, anybody around at that time knows that things were not good in production ag at that point in time, low commodity prices, high interest rates. And so mom and dad, God bless them. I mean, they worked their butts off. And to, to make an extra dollar, we, we would deliver those small squares and so heck there probably wasn't a equine horse hobby farmer in Natrona County Wyoming that we didn't <laughs> that deliver didn't know, to. yeah they probably didn't have a barn that we had to on a 105 degree yeah. day have to stack small squares walk over a bunch of pallets and stack in the back of a barn but we made an extra 25 bucks a ton of that just you know help helped them pay the bills anything to put in the margin yeah yeah anything to get some capital but yeah, and especially on those deliveries, you're not, I mean, they don't have nice facilities that you're delivering to. It's always the worst kind of facilities that you got to trample over and Usually get back into. pallets and, you can stick a foot in or roll an ankle. Yeah, and, exactly. Snakes and, everywhere. A, a barn that, you know, it's just steel. So it might be 90 outside, but in that barn it feels like it's 110. Yeah. You know, but it builds character. Yeah. Oh, it definitely <laughs> does. It definitely does. Yeah. But you kind of, yeah, you grow up showing sheep, cattle, hogs, and then, uh, now, yeah. since your since your dad was the judging coach, did at Casper, did you always kind of know that you were going to go to Casper, or did you have oh, your yeah. eye on everything, yeah. anything no, else? No, no doubt. And we, you know, you mentioned we showed, yeah, absolutely. It, there was no way we were going to get out of showing on the weekend. 
Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, that was our only chance to get out the farm and get out of irrigation. <laughs> our chance to go and socialize, because otherwise we're at home setting water, yeah. moving irrigation water. And so, and the other, the other thing that uh, was made pretty clear to us is that we had to win, otherwise we weren't going to go. Yeah. And so we worked our butts off to make sure that, you know, we had our best opportunity every weekend. And, and obviously we, we didn't want to stay home and, and uh, irrigate all weekends. So yeah. We wanted to go see people. But, no, as far as judging goes, too, I mean, there was no doubt. I never considered anywhere else. I never considered. I was told from an early age, uh, which I'm thankful for this because I talked to some young people and they don't know what they're going to major in. And, and on one hand, that's good. But on the other hand, you know, you might add a little extra cost to your to your college education by by going through your majors or not knowing what you're going to major in. But so I, I always knew we were, I was going to Casper College and I was majoring in Ag Ed. Now, I didn't know where I was going to go finish my degree, but uh, I knew that where the first two years were going to yeah. be. Yeah, and that's interesting. I, I kind of wanted to bring it back to that where you just go to the show cause, and you wanted to go show because you were off the farm and setting water. And I think that's a, a lot of kids' kind of perspective if they get to go to these jackpots every weekend or once a month even. It's, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It, it's a, it's a break away from the house. It's a break away from the norm. You don't get to see a lot of these people just every single day. They, they are well, and it's obvious here today. I mean, a lot of these people, they're friends. They're going to go to dinner together. You stay at a, you stay at a hotel. You got a swimming pool. I mean, we didn't have that. So yeah. The only chance to go to a swimming pool was when you went to a jackpot show, stayed in a hotel. You know, went out to Pizza Hut or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, anything that'll make it good. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Those are some of our fondest memories. We're doing stuff like that. I definitely remember that. Yeah, th- those are the fondest memories, just being with your family or, or staying at a hotel with friends. And you're maybe you're not even at the hotel pool. You're just sitting in a the in the hallway. Yeah. Because your parents don't want you talking in the rooms because they're trying to go to bed. So you just sit in the hallway and talk with your friends till Absolutely. late at night. Yep. Sitting out at camp chair on the fairgrounds. Yep. Yep. That's where the magic happens. Absolutely. That, that's where that's where the stuff gets done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's where the decisions get made and everything like Memories that. Memories are made. But uh, tell me about your Casper experience, because I, I mean, I, judging obvi- judging collegiately is obviously awesome, but I can't imagine having your father be coaching you as well as maybe an an instructor <clears throat> as well. <laughs> well, so, so a couple things on that. So, I was surrounded by absolutely uh, some of the most talented people um some of the smartest uh people i I, like several of my teammates have gone on and now have phds and have their you know obviously have their doctorates and are just incredibly intelligent people or have law degrees and 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 so on um so i was i was blessed to be on an incredible team as far as judging for dad um you know, you couldn't get away with much, uh, and we we may or may not have partaken in uh, underage drinking in Casper College. <laughs> I don't know. There may have been a, a Keystone light cracked here and there. Yeah. Um, I think that's just all junior college. That's yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't much that he didn't know about. Yeah. He wasn't far from the action, and if uh, we got a little too unruly, then there were consequences oh i bet which you know for a lot of kids you're in college you're away from your parents and your family uh 
Nope, mine was right up the road at the Grace One Rag Pavilion. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I I had a few talking twos. Yeah, <clears throat> I think uh, I think if my dad was my judging coach in junior college, I would have had more than a few <laughs> yeah. talking to. I my uh-huh. judging coach wasn't my dad, and I certainly got a couple talking yeah. twos. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's a, it's fun. It's a good experience. It was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. I. You guys were pretty successful, right? Yeah, we won. We won a bunch of national contests. Um, at that point in time, you know, they didn't have. I think today there's a point system, and, and ultimately they declare a national champion at Houston. We didn't have that. We we declared ourselves national champions, I guess, because yeah. we, we did win five of the seven national contests. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, myself and and. Aaron Morrow uh, from New Mexico and, and Amanda Zeal and, and uh, Ryan Long and, and Jared Mernon and Katrina um, Krim now, um, to name name a few. Um, those were my teammates. Yeah. Man, they were good. Yeah. Talented. Several of them were high individuals in, in national contests. And, and, and by being surrounded by them, it, it made me better. Yeah. You know, because I'm the type of person that – I'm competitive. I don't. I don't want to be beaten, and so they would beat me every once in a while, and that forced me to get focused and and work harder. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's everyone should have that mindset. And I, I know when I went into junior college, everybody goes into junior college thinking they're the baddest shit, and they're I mean that they're the best. Oh sure. And then they get there, and there's thirty well, other they, kids well, that well, are just you, like them. Well, I mean, you really are though. A lot of these. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these kids are coming in from different states. Maybe have been high individual in state contests or have their share of success yeah. at the state level, 4-H or FFA, maybe at the national level. So they, yeah, they probably it, are pretty confident. Yeah, I think, I, but I think it's good that everybody comes in with a chip on their shoulder too. But it's good to kind of sit back at that first or second practice whenever, when you hear everybody talk or, or you hear everybody's perspective and you're like, oh, there's going to be some competition here. Oh, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's your teammates – but it's going to help you. I know Tyler Pickenpaw, the first day of our practice, I heard him say a set of reasons. I was like, I got to practice. There's no way I'm going to let this kid beat me all year. It's not going to happen. Right. And he did. It's fine. <laughs> Tyler's a heck of a livestock judge, and, and he's he's real good at marking cards, and he's he's really good on the mic too. And I mean, he's shown that through yep. senior college and, and into judging shows too. So, yep, yep, yep. But it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic for sure. Yep. Good experience. Yeah. But then from there you got yeah uh, you, you get your associates at uh, Casper. I did. And Aged. Yeah, I you know honestly I don't know if it was Aged and my it may have been just life science yeah, you know yeah but uh, it finally you know went on to Iowa State. Yep. After that, and got a bachelor's in in Aged. Yeah, and you continued judging in, at yeah, Iowa State. Yeah, as well. so that was a really interesting team. Um, <clears throat> so. All of my teammates at Iowa State were, were in-house kids. They didn't have any JUCO judging experience. I was the only JUCO transfer. Oh, wow. And, man, we were terrible. <laughs> we were god-awful. <laughs> you know, we went – I had teammates, and they're awesome. They're awesome. It just happened to be we were all dudes. Yeah. We didn't have any girls on our women on our team. Um, the first contest we went to was the University of Nebraska mock contest where – you go judge the classes, and then afterwards you walk around with your coach, and you go through them, and 
they tell you how bad you screwed up and yeah. you're a dumbass. And yeah. You, you know, do a better job. <laughs> Typical and, coach talk. Yeah. Um, and then we went on to Denver and they were just like shell shocked because it's in the, yeah, it's in the Coliseum. And I'll never forget, I had a couple of those guys that went direct to Iowa State and they were in-house kids. They had no, they didn't even, how could they, in, in their defense, know what it was going to be like? They thought that everything was going to be like the University of Nebraska mock contest. Oh, gosh, that they just walked so they through. So they were just in awe. You walk out on the floor of the Denver Coliseum, you know. And, and there's a they, lot of stuff going probably on. shitting razor blades. Yeah, probably were. <laughs> uh, and end up dropping, like, a crazy amount of points. And we ended up, you know, I, I had a good day. and uh, But we were still, like, ninth. And that was the best that we did all year long. Really? It was ninth until Louisville. Until Louisville. And somehow, some way, I always knew those guys were talented. Yeah. I always knew my teammates were talented. And I had one teammate in particular by the name of Joe Hobbs, who's a successful sheep breeder now in Kansas, who beat me a few times in the fall. And it really motivated me to get my stuff together and, and really focus and get better. And uh, so he and, and and the rest of the team, they just they figured it out. Well, they always knew good livestock, but they just, you know, whatever it is, they figured out the game. Yeah, sometimes, well. They figured out class logic. Yeah. They got over this stuttering, stammering stuff, giving reasons, and just made it simple for themselves yeah. and just started talking. And, um, you know, we, we did, yes, we got beat, but we were second in Louisville. Nice. But. You know, well, that's you know not what? bad. That's the best Iowa State's done. They've never done better, placed higher than that ever since then. And um, we were we were second behind a really good Oklahoma State team, but never been so happy to be second. Now, one of the funniest parts to all that was in Louisville at the national contest, they do a 10-year team and a 40-year team yeah. reunion. They bring those teams back. And the 40-year team, and this and I'm getting old. This was 2001, <laughs> and the 40-year team was Iowa State, and we we ended up uh, doing well in hogs that day. And none of us were hog kids. Yeah. I mean, that particular year, they they did not have the National Bears show. They uh, they had what they called the the All American in Des Moines, but it was the, the equivalent of the National okay. Bears show. You know, the, the swine judging Super Bowl. We were actually 13th out of 14, I think, second to last. Yeah, we were terrible. None of us really liked hogs. I don't think really any of us did. I know I didn't. Yeah. But we ended up winning hogs in, in Louisville, and uh, it humored us because one of the old boys off the 40-year team came up to us, slapped us on the shoulder, and said, now we knew you Iowa Staters would pull through in hogs. <laughs> <laughs> we turned to each other and smirked and said, man, that guy only knew. <laughs> if that guy only knew. If he only knew. If only knew what, what we placed uh, in the we hog contest. We were second to last at National Bears show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Well, I bet Um, you were saying that you guys, that was the best time you did at Denver, right out of the gate. Yeah, we were and ninth, then, and then we ended up ninth again in Houston, I think. And, yeah. You know, but we were always just, yeah, I mean, just out of the top ten. It just happened to come together. We were, we might have been the low drop that day. I don't recall. Yeah. If not, we were pretty close with, with uh, uh, Oklahoma State. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's hard to figure out the game sometimes, class logic and Absolutely. all that stuff. I mean, um, but once somebody figures it out, you can really tell. 
because at those yeah. next contests, they're just going to be running yeah. it, rolling, yeah. rolling, rolling. Well, I mean, telling their list their scorecard. I mean, you end up with you just minimize those busts, those crazy cards. Yeah. Because when you can look at something and just figure out the handles, um, you know, obviously you got a winner, you got a loser, whatever, you know, whatever the class logic is, they started understanding it. So. Yeah, I think that's not uh, that class logic is something that not a lot of people understand. I knew I, I didn't know what class logic was until I got into junior college. They, yeah. No one, none of my high school coaches taught me that. Forage shouldn't teach me that. Not a lot of people know that the committee is setting these classes up for a reason for you to place them a certain way to teach you something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is, but but not only realizing that that exists, but doing it accurately, um, looking at it and understanding it the way it was meant to be understood. And that takes a little practice. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really it, does. It just doesn't happen for most people. So I think that's what happened for my teammates. Now, what you, what'd you graduate from Iowa State with? So, bachelor's in ag ed, and, and I did ultimately end up getting a master's, which I guess on one hand I jokingly tell people I'm just an overeducated sheep farmer. <laughs> but, but uh, I mean, there's a point of pride, too, with education, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's personal pride that you, that you went on and, and completed that degree. Um, but, yeah, I, I graduated in the spring of 02, uh, May of 02 with an ag ed degree. And what was your plan after you graduated? So I went to Fort Hayes State University, a smaller uh, ag school in western Kansas, and coached a judging team there for a few years. Um, had a little bit of success. Uh, learned a lot. Learned a, a lot, a lot. Because, you know, here I am, just a young punk, uh, coming out of college. Had a good day in Louisville. But, uh, you know, working with some really good kids with no experience and um, like I said we had some success but learned a lot about coaching and and uh, just working with people yeah no I bet that was a good experience for you oh it was it was awesome yeah what'd you end up doing uh, following that so I spent a few years in Casper uh, Casper College coaching and we had some good success there it was a great experience Um, during that time ended up meeting my now wife and um, we, uh, so I'm fortunate that she did become my wife because I think it was probably the second date that I told her I thought I'd, I figured we'd get married. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky she didn't run. Really? You said that on your, well, fir- I knew. On your second date? I knew. Yeah, I knew because I never met anybody like her in my life. Yeah. I mean, she wanted to raise sheep full time. I mean, she had me at I Love Pitching Lambing Jugs. Wow. Yeah. That's perfect for you. Yeah. Not, I mean, not that. I thought she was pretty easy on the eye. And, <laughs> you know, but I, I, we we had a lot in common. And um, anyway, so we had this idea that we needed to, uh, at that time, we didn't have the foresight to realize that the show sheep deal could be produ- done predominantly online. It could be sold mostly online. Because we were trying to get people from the Midwest to come look at our sheep, and they said, ah, birds are too far out in the boonies. You know, we're not going to come out there. We did get a few people, but then they told us they got lost. You know, we're never coming back again. Gosh dang. And so we, uh, I reached out to my advisor at Iowa State and was looking for a gig in, in Iowa to get our sheep. With the ultimate goal being 
to try to do it full time. Yeah, that, that's to market your sheet better. To, well, to market our sheet better, be in the Midwest in order to put ourselves in a position to do it full time because that was our both of our goal or our dream. And so I ended up taking a, a high school teaching gig, which was another awesome experience. Learned a lot, had a lot of fun doing that. How many years did you do that? <clears throat> did that for five years. Wow. Um, at the time, so we were pretty lucky. We just found a little, I jokingly referred to it as our, our little ranchette, just a little acreage, 20 acres, and a little farmhouse. We had 90 ewes together is what Mickey and I had, and uh, moved moved the wagon back that way. And So we, in our to reach our goal, we quickly escalated our numbers. We retained a lot of ewe lambs. We bought out a few flocks and got our numbers ramped up to about 300 head. And we finally took the leap of faith in the spring of 2014. And both her and I left our day jobs and wow. do this full time. And you're just raising sheep full time now? Yeah. In Seward, Nebraska? In, in Seward, as, as Tor said today. In he, Seward? I, I told Tor, I said it's Seward. He says, oh, that sounds gross. Seward sounds no, gross. No, no, he said Seward sounds gross. Seward sounds gross. Because it sounds it like sewer. Sewer. Yeah, I, well, that's what it is. So I guess we'll just have to sound gross. Yeah, but Seward is a great place. It's a. It's it is a, a nice town. It it's is not a very gross. Nice it's town, not gross yeah. at all. It's a very nice town. A very nice town and a lot of grass. Seems like it's green. It rains a lot. Yeah, it does. A lot I mean, of corn. A lot of beans. It's Nebraska. You it's a little corn. bedroom community of Lincoln, and so. No, it's a nice little community, about 7,000, little university there. Nice little downtown. It's the 4th of July city. Yeah. They bring in, supposedly, and I believe it, 40,000, 50,000 people come to Seaward, Nebraska for, <laughs> for, uh, for the four, fireworks show. 4th of, of July. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. They got like the whole town block locked off. The, off. Block off the downtown, yeah. That's pretty nice, though. Oh, it's, yeah, it's good. It's a good time. We go to town and take miles. Our boy to town, they have a big air show. Yeah. And, Walk around, vendors, fireworks. Now, let me ask you, at, at what comfortability do you have to be at to just say, you know what, I'm quitting my day job, we're raising sheep all the time? Because I know a lot of people want to do that. A lot of people just want to raise livestock and uh, make their money that way, but it's it's not for everybody. How do you feel comfortable doing that? Well, or how do you get in the position to do that? It's nerve wracking. So, how do we get in position? Well, a couple ways. We thought partly we we ramped up our numbers, and then selling them online kind of gave us the confidence that we could we could do them, or we could do this. We could do it full time, um, and you and it's it's pretty well a must that you market at least a share of what you raise on the internet because it's not a big enough world to rely on people just coming to your farm. Yeah, I mean it's it's bigger than what we know. There's more participants in the junior livestock world than what we're aware of. It's not so big that we could just depend on people coming to the farm. So they have to be marketed online, and um, you have to have um, delivery options. And, and we we have that network, and and we we've been we had been selling, and and you know knock on wood have a little bit of success. Um, so that gives you some confidence. And um, you know, like I told Mickey, it's not like uh, you know I quit this if this. If this project fails, I still have my teaching license. Yeah, you can still get a job. And there's a lot of, and 
Well, I, I totally understand. There's a lot of turnover in ag teaching. There's a bunch of turnover. It is an absolute monster of a job, and God bless ag teachers. Because um, it, it's, uh, I mean, it's fun, but it will wear you out. A lot of kids, a lot of, lot, I mean, if you're doing, FFA in itself is its own job. It's yeah. its own monster. If you're coaching teams and hauling teams beyond just teaching ag. Yeah. And uh, I think that's what a lot of people don't understand, like, from the outside looking in, is the amount, like, these teachers, these ag teachers have oh. to also teach these classes. But they're also taking these kids to the contest. Oh, yeah. They're coaching no. teams. They're doing. You don't get it unless you. I didn't get it until I did it. No. And it was fun, but I mean, you're up there early practicing, and and then if you're, you know, any like any teacher that likes their job and takes pride in what they do, you really work hard to create lessons that the kids really get into, and it takes a lot of time and effort to come up with labs and hands-on activities and things like that that kids like. And you work hard to, to make kids like learning. Yeah. And it just wears you out. And then, you know, to still have stuff on top of it after that, hours of practices and, and things. Um, and that was part of my motivation because I felt like my brain, <laughs> I was, <clears throat> you know, it would be occupied. I'd be at home chorn and, and trying to be a better show sheet producer, but my mind would be occupied with things that I needed to be doing at school or yeah. practices and stuff coming up I mean it was partly devoted here partly devoted there and so it's a little unfair to the kids it's the school and a little unfair to this business enterprise and, and so we, we just had to, to go for it and like I just said a little bit ago you know what we do raising show sheep it's not something people have to have obviously it's not a life necessity yeah. they they do it because they choose to do it. I think what we figured out is a lot of people have decided they're going to spend money on their kids. And some people choose to buy four-wheelers and go off-road and Bajo. Club sports. Yeah. And football, basketball, whatever. Yeah. And some people choose to spend their money on livestock and, and, and raise their kids this way. And, um, and if for some reason they decided not to buy ours, then... I, I still have my my teaching license yeah. in a file, yeah, and I am prepared at any point in time uh, to go back and teach. I did enjoy it enough that I would go back and do it again. I just like raising sheep more. Yeah, yeah, and I I don't think that's any. I mean, that's understandable that you just kind of want to raise sheep and and not stick around with just kids all day. And I there's merit to it. Um, but I mean, if your passion is raising livestock and raising, raising sheep, you're going to want to do that over any day. Yeah. And I, it's hard for me to explain. I just, from an early age, I just, I've always liked raising sheep. I like the challenge of trying to create that great one. I also, I think I like the challenge of making a living raising sheep. It's made me a better sheep producer. I pay more attention to the numbers. Uh, I work harder on the management side, the health side. Our percent death loss, our percent lamb, our percent death loss has declined. Our percent lamb crop has increased. Uh, we really pay attention on the nutrition side, try to maximize, but at the same time, pay attention to our inputs. It's, it's made me a better shepherd. Are there any like uh, new technologies or anything that you've been using, or or anything that you know, you've got I, your eye on? Well, I'm yes. I I don't know if they're new. I mean, I suppose. At this point in time, there's plenty of people that uh, are doing repro work. We do uh, 
our fair share of embryo transfer as well as lap AI. Um, you know, we on the feed side of things, um, we have totally changed our, at least our summer feeding program, have eliminated starch, have eliminated alfalfa. Um, we've reduced our, our protein. And have now, seen, why is that? Well, so it's my understanding and just talking to um, the, the veterinarian and, or veterinarians that uh, do our repro work at Starch, it, it started in the dairy world with research there probably about 10 years ago. Maybe not quite that far. When corn got to 6 $7 a bushel, dairy folks and other consumers of corn were forced to do some different things. And what they learned in the process is that Starch, to break down that complex carbohydrate, raises their body temperature. And when we do that in the summer months, um, we reduce our odds of conception. And then alfalfa is simply too hot of a feed. There's too much protein. And when they're trying to metabolize all that extra protein and uh, all those extra nutrients, it increases their body temperature, which in turn reduces conception. And since we've eliminated alfalfa and shell corn uh, and just went to a processed feed, with a lower level of uh, protein, um, we have seen significant, significant improvements in um, in our conception rates on our AI, which have been very good, knock on wood. Um, you know, I don't know if it's technology. We've worked very, very hard on our uh, buck fertility, um, installed air conditioning, regulate the temperature in that barn. Um, we have some additives that we utilize in our buck feed to make sure that we we use a jump you, which, you know, uh, my wife says she feels sorry for this jump you, but she's actually just an old show you that yeah. has a torn up uterus that, you know, otherwise she would be long gone. Yeah. So at least she has a purpose in life. But uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, she does have a purpose. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that to me does as much as anything to maintain the fertility bucks. Now, is this technology? I don't know. These are things that have made us better. Uh, I think it's, I, I mean... I guess it's one thing that don't not a lot of people think about temperature, and how much temperature can affect a a livestock animal or the or the reproductive uh, insides of a livestock animal. But it surely does. Yeah, and keeping those cells cycling through the buck, uh, keeping those semen cells cycled through them and fresh. Uh, Starting in June, we run the jump you through four days a week. Um, Utilize some additives and and our buck fertility is. And, and it's because of that, in the, particularly in the last couple of years, <clears throat> the improvement in our, our results, um, we're getting more of that, what I refer to as that plan A mating. And in previous years, our conception rates have been lower. And what we, you know, you just kick a buck out and you clean up. And you get some good results, but the hit ratio is not as good when you get those plan A matings. And so we've seen maybe a little more success here as of late. Um, because we've done a better job managing our use nutritionally and gotten better conception rates and, and gotten those plan A matings as opposed to just kicking a buck out and hoping for the best. And by plan A matings, you're like, I mean, you're making sure that... Well, I spent a fair amount of time uh, analyzing not just phenotype but pedigrees and trying to match up phenotypes. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I mess up. I yeah. mess up, but... You know, you get some right, and you just you have a higher probability of getting a high-end show sheep from a plan A mating as you do a plan B, where 
that's just cleanup. You kick just a buck into a pen or in a pasture with a group of ewes that may or may not have been slated to be bred to that particular ram. You can't kick out multiple rams into a group of ewes. They're going to fight knockheads and something bad's going to happen. Yeah. So you turn one ram out to a particular group of ewes. And we're not situated to resort them all to the way they were bred to, in the original breeding group. So you kick one out and you hope for the best. And ultimately... You know, that buck's going to have a problem that maybe that there's a ewe in that group has a problem. So you end up with a, a lamb that's just not good enough. Yeah. And maybe if she had stuck to the plan A mating, you would have got a viable show sheep or higher end show sheep that potentially could have done better. So do you think a lot of sheep producers are uh, sticking to that uh, type of mating or do you think it's kind of the cleanup? Uh, there are way more people that are utilizing AI. Yeah. Um, there's more and more semen on the market, frozen and fresh, and they're taking advantage of. Um, they themselves are hosting AI dates, or they're ghost, going to AI dates, and there's more technicians than ever before performing lap AI. And so I would say, in the sheep world, we're probably a little bit behind in terms of technology, utilizing utilizing technology compared to cattle or hogs. This is relatively new on the repro side, but this is. Um, it is growing, and more and more producers are utilizing AI to try to get better faster. Um, probably not as much ET, because it is still a little risky. Um, the biggest thing, the biggest challenge we've had, we've, we've been able to produce a good number of embryos. Um, we've not consistently had good embryo retention. And so we're trying some different things on the nu nutrition side. What we're really working hard is we're, we're getting all of our management things done sooner and we're getting our use grouped up 80 90 days out like as a kid you just you'd saddle up your horse load them on the trailer go out to the pasture run the ewes out on the bridge like three weeks before you're going to kick the ram out yeah run them on the old bridge over the the county irrigation canal and and uh wrangle them and give them their pre-breeding shots and then kick the ram in well, we try to have our shearing, our hoof trimming, our pre-breeding shots, uh, everything that needs to be done management-wise done super early in the season, and we get them on feed sooner, and we think all those things have contributed well, to that, it. Well, it probably does because they're not just overwhelmed with stuff now. Absolutely. I mean, they, they've had everything done. And they're over it. Yeah, they're over it. They're good they're now. Cool. And they're like, yeah, you send a buck in here? We might get some stuff done. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they're more they're more apt to cycle when we want them to. Plus, we do we do tease them. We do kick a teaser in for two or three weeks midsummer to get them to cycle ahead of the cycle that we're ultimately going to breed them on because we think that that increases our conception rates too. Wow. It, it you're doing a lot of stuff with conception rates, and that makes sense just because that's I mean that's where your money comes from. Is it if you can make as as much lambs as you can? Well, the most valuable commodity we raise is a December and January born weather. Okay. I mean, you just look at our numbers. December or January weather is the most valuable thing we raise. And we just, there was a period in time where over half of our flock lambed in, in where we, we were struggling, frankly, uh, to get stuff bred up, either due to poor conception rates via AI or buck fertility. And we're pushing everything into the March and April group, which those sheep traditionally have less value for us because uh, there's just simply less people in the Midwest that want one that age. And we're still working to develop, which uh, our market south, um, or more, more where a lot of those sheep go, and uh, so we absolutely had to get better. Yeah, I mean this is our job. Yeah, 
Location, location, location. I mean, that's what it comes down to is basically who's going to buy these sheep around yeah. here for their county fairs well, and stuff. July and August. Yeah. That's Midwest. That's when the yeah. fairs are happening. And so you need, you have to have a December and January sheep. And we, we had to figure it out and get, them, get the ewes pregnant and, and to the matings that, that we wanted. Yeah. Now, I want to take it back because you said that uh, the sheep industry is kind of behind on the technology side, the technological side. Uh, to get kind of technology kind of ramped up in uh, the sheep industry, we have to get more people involved, basically. If, I mean, if there's more people involved, there's more minds on it. How do we get more people participating in the sheep industry or, I mean, the show industry or the production side of the industry? Um, and this is a Well, I mean, the production side, they've got to be, well, they got to be able to make money. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the biggest problems is it's a it's too too often it's a loser in the commercial sector now i think there's sectors that i mean obviously there's some feedlot operations there's at least a couple of packing plants that are making money um and i think the producers have good years but i think it's overall numbers have de declined dramatically obviously since world war ii i think as of late they've come up just a little bit because we're seeing a little bit of an ethnic market there's niche markets yeah. right and we're actually seeing a little bit of increase in, in sheep production. And it depends on where you're at. We're seeing an increase in kids and families participating in the sheep project in different places. And I'll say um, I, I got roped into to serving as a superintendent at Xarvin, which I am I'm looking forward to. Um, but we have nearly 600 market lamb entries. And that's, that's wild. Uh, it hasn't been that way in a little while. That's a, that's a bunch of sheep. That is a way a lot of sheep and so we're seeing an increase and the other area i'm seeing an increase in participation is in oh for instance louisville in like the registered junior breeding uh, registered show there's a lot of families yeah doing that um which i get maybe they see it as a little more practical for them as opposed to showing a weather yeah that time of the year where they can take a ewe lamb take her home put her in production so it makes more sense for them um, you're seeing a comeback or a resurgence in kansas city They've done some. They've done some good things there, at that stock show, and uh, Denver, of course, has always been been very good. Yeah, I think uh, I think numbers are going up on the sheep side of things, especially on the oh, show yeah. side. I, I really do think that the the numbers are going they're, up. It, it's down in some areas, and, yeah. and you'll find that, you know some years it's down, and then they're going to bounce back. Um, we have not seen a decline ourselves personally. We've we've seen a, a healthy uh, increase annually, and that's all you can ask for. Yeah. yeah. Now you said you're uh, you got roped into being superintendent. Well, I shouldn't have put it that way. <laughs> you, no, I I don't think I volunteer. Yeah. Well, I, I say roped in because I'm I'm assuming it's probably a thankless job. What I'm guessing is it's you know somebody's gonna be upset about something, and I get to be the one that gets to listen to it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And. That's every superintendent. Nobody, <laughs> nobody leaves the show and is, thanks, superintendent. No. I, but maybe they will. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I've never done it before, so I don't know exactly what to expect. We get to myself and the goat superintendent. We get to figure out the, the stalling arrangements. Oh yeah, that's always fun. Yeah, yeah. So it's you're going to make a lot of people happy. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So the sheep and the goats are housed together. Six hundred market lambs. I think maybe. 250 breeding ewes, um, over two, maybe 300 market goats, 150 breeding does. 
Wow. So that's a lot of stalling to figure out. That is a lot of stuff to figure out. So that's the first task, and then we get to help check everybody in. And yeah. I I never understood why people got upset at, like, their stall placement or their pin placement. That's, like, the one thing that you can't control. That's somebody setting that up. Why are you, like, just well, take it. <clears throat> I know there's probably going to be shenanigans. Like, somebody's going to show up. They're not going to like their stalling position. And they're going to move. So they're just going to move, take the cart off yeah. one pin, move it to another and I was talking to the goat superintendent. So what are we gonna do when that happens? Like, are we gonna get all up in their face? Yeah. Are we just gonna tuck our tails and turn our backs? Because I, I don't know how I'm gonna react. Because I, I don't wanna. You don't I, wanna be a dick, but I, like. I mean, I don't want, I don't want to, to be confrontational with yeah. anyone. Um, so we'll just have to see what happens when it comes. And it's a difficult little thing to do. Because I'm guessing it might happen. Yeah. It'll definitely happen. And you know the families that's moving cards, they're not afraid to get in confrontation. Yeah. They know it's like, I'm moving this card. If somebody comes and talks to me, I'm ready for it. Yeah. I mean, you got to kind of go yeah. through that mentally before you move a card. Yeah, like, I don't know if I really, if I'm going to care that much. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Well, that's something to, I mean, you're we'll a superintendent the, now. Yeah, you you don't have to think about it now. Cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. Well, uh, Colby, that's kind of all I had for you just on, on my questions. I like to leave a little bit of time for my interviewee just to plug anything that you want to plug or, or say anything that you want to say to the to the listeners. Yeah, no, hey, thank you. Um, enjoyed it. Um, I guess uh, if you're curious about what we do, uh, you can find more information about Mickey, Miles, and myself at birchlivestock.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram. That's it. That's uh, a man a few words plugging stuff. Well, I uh, you can find out everything you need to know. <laughs> hey, they've got a sweet website too. I, I checked their website out. You've got a nice website. Thank you. I actually like I click it's not like a lot of like livestock websites. Not a lot of people are up like in the modern world on technology. You've got a nice layout on your website and I appreciated that. Well thank yeah. you. Yeah, so no, go you, check out his nice you website. You can stay up to date. I mean you're curious about what our stock looks like. Uh, everything's there on the website, the donors current sires, reference sires. We try to keep our for sale page uh, up to date so you know what kind of offerings we have coming down the pike. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, with the numbers we run, we have sales year-round. Yeah. Um, this time of the year, uh, where we're selling some late-borns and selling some red ewes. And we'll have a big set of fall-borns uh, born in October, marketed in December. We're, we're going to do an open house December 7th and 8th. And anybody that attends, we're going to put their names in a hat and draw for three $1,000 sale credits. Wow. So. If you're close to Seward, Nebraska, when, when's well, the sale C- date? Seward, I'm going to joke. Yeah, you know, C- if, you're, if you're close to Seward, Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, it's December 7th and 8th. Okay, perfect. Yeah. yeah, come out to the open house. And there's probably going to be like 60 fallborns. They're all going to be Heismans is yeah. the buck we used. and. We're going to offer all the ewe lambs, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Because Heisman's known to produce some pretty good females and offer all the weathers awesome. on this one sale. So Going all out. Going all out, trying to make you know, trying to make it an enticing offering. Well, that's what you got to do to get more customers. If you don't have an enticing offer, how are you going to reach out to right. that audience we, yep. that you don't know? Absolutely. Um, and then also online sales that you were talking about i mean you, you yeah, guys so, do online sales absolutely huge. so we start in february and we do what we call a weekly top 10 and we put up what we think are the best 10 sheep at the time and we also market some sheep privately but i we 
I only sell privately to folks that come to the farm. Um, just FYI. Now, <laughs> so, why is that? Well, because picturing is a real pain in the butt. Yeah. Anybody that's ever pictured livestock knows and will probably smile or, or laugh or say, yeah, I know. Uh, it's just hard because they don't cooperate and yeah. ultimately end up cussing at, your, in my case, it's with Mickey and my wife, and we say <laughs> things to each other that yeah. we do. probably, <laughs> luckily, we're able Get to just... Get the legs right! Oh, my. <laughs> Uh, we say terrible things to each other, yeah. and it just—it's just hard. Picturing and, livestock is the worst, especially with family. I mean, everybody and I get it is so particular, and they have to look just right. Um, and I don't blame them. Yeah. But that is hard to get that picture, and if they don't look just right, then they're not going to like them. And, and so, we do offer private treaty, but it has to be done in person. Have to and, be in and person. if you want to see a picture, you want to see a variety of pictures, then shop. On an online sale, and to me that is a fair way to do it. Well, I think um, I think private treaty is good too because you have that personal aspect of it. People well, are coming to your farm and a, you get to talk to a, them. And there are some people that have been burned online. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have burn, been burned online so, with those they, pictures I, that we were talking about. Yeah, with those sweet pictures. Yeah. And so they just they've had a bad experience. They're not going to do it again. And so we, I feel like it's mandatory that we and we have a lot of them too. So we can't put them all online. Yeah. And so we have to we have to offer the, both avenues um but at the, at the at the same time you've got people that can't make it to your place and so they they want a good one and so we do reserve a portion of the top end for the online sales and the other thing too they're public auction it's public knowledge you know it'd be a complete embarrassment if if you didn't have some some good ones on there yeah. and so we do reserve a portion sell a portion uh privately and Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's all I got for you now. Not, and I'm for real now. I don't, I don't have real? anything else. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate you, Colby, awesome. for taking time out, out of, after judging uh, just to sit down and talk with me. It's been a blast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, man. Current time's limited, so you must listen carefully. Well, that'll do it for this week, folks. Um, as you have come to surmise, being as Colby and I said bye to each other, and then the interview ended, and now I'm doing the closing remarks, so. You guys picked it up. Uh, one more shout out to the people that are at Phoenix, uh, the Hog Show, at the World Champion Showmanship Show uh, in Oklahoma. I hope you guys do great this weekend. Uh, keep in mind that winning's fun, but not everybody can do it. So uh, go in there level-headed uh, and do your best. Also, um, it's a busy time coming up, guys. I mean, we've got all these shows. Um, National Convention is coming up. If you're headed to uh, National Convention... Have fun. I'm jealous. I wish I could go. I'm going to see about trying to go next year. I'd like to go. I just, it's a trip. And, and if you don't, if you don't have a booth, it's not really worth it. And they won't just let you get a booth. It's, it costs some money. Uh, so if anybody at National FFA wants to hook me up, um, let me know. Send me a message because <laughs> I would love it. So yeah, that's all I got for you this week. Tune in on Monday for my callback episode. Um, and I might have a special guest. I kind of like having guests on my callback episodes so I don't just have to talk the whole time. I think I'm going to start doing more guests. Uh, and if you guys like that idea, let me know because I think it'd be fun. And then you guys just don't have to listen to me talking the whole time. I mean, I do like to talk as you can hear me right now. I'm just rambling on about this. So I like to talk, uh, but I like to get other, other people's opinion too. So I'm going to start doing that and I, I might just start reaching out to people just to have on my callback episode. So 
Hope you guys enjoy it. Hope you guys still uh, keep listening to me. Like and share and subscribe and, and do all that jazz. Tell your friends about me. Uh, I'd appreciate that. Just spread me by the word of mouth. Uh, and you guys are awesome. So I'll talk to you on Monday. And I love you. Bye.